You're listening to the Father's House Podcast. We're in Owensboro, Kentucky. Hope you guys enjoy. If you guys want more information, you can go to thefathershouseky.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing? The reality is not everybody's doing great, and that's okay, right? (laughs) And that's totally okay. You found your way to church this morning, even if some of you thought, man, I don't know if I want to go today, man, I'm tired, or whatever it may be. Uh, But we're so glad you you made it to gather with God's people today. Amen? Amen. Um, Awesome. I planned on praying for Chris and Norman, and Maddie just went after it. Come on, somebody. It was in my notes. Come on, Holy Ghost. So, so good. Man, I, man, oh man. Isn't that just kind of, I just couldn't help but just to tear up just watching Norman, you know? I mean, if you get diagnosed with cancer, go through chemo, we would only hope that we would be at the altar saying, man, God, you're worthy. It makes that song hit a whole lot different, huh? When I'm when I'm when I was by that hospital bed, you're worthy. That song's meaning a whole different thing right now. So, just so encouraging, so so encouraging. Keep continue to pray. We continue to stand. Amen. 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 Anybody else is going through anything? We're standing with you. Amen. So today's gonna be fun. Today's gonna be a wonderful day here at the Father's house. I'm gonna be talking about something that is extremely controversial. Praise God. It's called the Bible. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that are extremely controversial, right? And so here at the Father's House, we don't just want to do things based on how we feel, but we want to do things based on Scripture. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. We don't need to just say, well, I don't know what to do with those certain Bible verses. Amen? We need to be able to exegete and interpret and have healthy hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is simply the the study of Scripture, how you interpret Scripture. This is something that's very important for all believers. Unfortunately, charismatic people get a bad rep for not knowing their Bibles. Somebody say, not me. Come on, that wasn't enough people. Somebody say, not me. (laughs) Not me. How many of you know that God's uh, spirit will never contradict God's word amen so all right today is pentecost sunday how many of you knew that raise your hand you don't came to a, a charismatic church on pentecost sunday and i'm not necessarily talking about pentecost this morning um, but i believe i have a word for us today we're going to be talking about women in ministry Come on, somebody. Some of you thought, oh, Lord, what church did I go to this morning? I've been struggling with it already. Some of you have thought, man, I don't know about all this. I know a couple scriptures in the New Testament. But, man, when I hear Pastor Faith preach, when I heard Maddie up here talking, it seemed like God was using her a minute ago. So I don't, I don't, I'm torn. (laughs) I'm torn. It seemed like God was doing something with a female. (laughs) And maybe we need to, to me it's sad when some of the deepest Bible study men do is to prove what women can't do. My bad. I'll keep going. Some of y'all didn't catch that. Some of you have only dug deep in your word to debate this topic. 
Lord, help me. How many of you know, man, I, I was up to almost two in the morning last night wrestling with God's word because I want to do, uh, I want to do God's word justice. I want to be a pastor. I, I want to be a pastor that rightly divides the word of truth, that rightly handles the word of God, not somebody that just comes up and gets prophetic or God told me things or whatever it may be, but rightly divides the word of truth. And the charismatic church at large, I'm here to tell you that there are charismatic, tongue-talking, uh, prophetic people who are also Bible scholars. Did you know that? There are seminaries, and you can get your doctorate degree and be a charismatic, spirit-filled believer, right? You don't have to throw away parts of the Bible because we're charismatic. So, anyways, man, I, I got a lot to say today, and it's going to be good, so I don't know what time it is. I don't even have a watch. Come on, somebody. Come on, I know some of you just like, let's go all day. But this is, this is very important. Could we all agree? This is very important. So here we go. As I was thinking about Pentecost, and I was like, Lord, do you want me to talk about Pentecost? And that scripture came to my mind immediately. Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. If you're gonna, I'm going to write down a whole lot of scripture today. I want you to know as well, as I was studying about women in ministry, I didn't just watch YouTube videos and read articles about people who are for it. I also read stuff about people who are against it. Amen. How many of you know if you get on YouTube, you can find something against something and something for it? No matter how deep of a heart, how deep of a hole you want to go down, there's so many big debates in the church today. Like for an example, once saved, always saved. That's a huge debate. And I can present scriptures to you right now in Romans 8 that talks about in 38 that nor death, nor height, uh, nor past, nor present, nor demons, nothing of the future can pluck you out of the hand of God and take you out of the love of God. Jesus would say that no one can take you from me, but at the same time the Bible would say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then the next verse would say, for it's God who wills and works in you. So is the Bible contradicting itself? I believe not. Is Paul, we're going to see in the New Testament in two scriptures, somebody say two passages. How many of you know the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible? It's not with your favorite commentary. It's not with your favorite preacher on YouTube who's against something that you like to be against. It's with the, the word of God itself. And, and, and not just the word of God itself, but from Genesis to Revelation. You need to take the entirety of the scriptures when we're interpreting the scriptures. Amen? Amen, amen. So, there's some big debates, and I want you to know, obviously, if you've been at the Father's house very long at all, um, you know that we are for women in ministry. Obviously, if you've been here. Um, but I want to I defend that this morning, uh, since people want to debate it and be mad about it, okay? Man, I'm just telling you, we, we, let's just pray. I just feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Oh, this is so, it's such an important message this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. Man, I thank you, Lord, that you were <laughs> born of a virgin. Hey, God, I thank you so much that um, you've called me here today, Lord. You've given me this word. I pray that you would use me, that you would anoint me on this Pentecost Sunday, God, that you would fill me afresh and anew right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for your people to have ears to hear and hearts to receive. God, I pray this morning that they would lay aside their preconceived ideas and be open to the message this morning in Jesus' name. I'm not saying that you have to believe what I'm going to say today, but I am saying don't just have a preconceived idea of what you already believe. 
Listen and see what God will open up to you this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. This is on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. We know the scripture, right? It says the Holy Spirit was poured out. This was prophesied many years ago. So important that Jesus would tell the disciples, hey, before you go out into the world, go and wait until you receive power from on high. So this is Peter talking later in verse 16. Check this out. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all, somebody say all, flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Come on, somebody. Is that it? Okay. Let me read you verse 18. Even on my, my male servants and my female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. It begs the question, well, what is prophecy? Prophecy, you ready, is speaking for God directly. How many of you think that's a pretty big deal? <laughs> You can speak so we know for sure, according to this text, that women can be used by God to be a prophet or a prophetess, to speak God's word. And who are they going to speak it to? The church. I'll, I'll show you a lot here today. we got a lot of scripture. Here we go. So the topic is, can God use women to teach and preach? And God, some of you are already offended. That's okay. We love you. God still loves you. I know many, many churches are against it in this town. Many in, the, in, our, in our nation, I'm completely aware. And I, I tell you what, man, I've never been more rooted and happy about it as I am this morning, about where I stand. So, all right, hold on, here we go. So first off, I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying today. I'm not here today to present a case on what our world is trying to call equality. I'm not, I'm not here to say that, that we're trying to... Um, equal out the playing field with, with women and men in ministry and we need to get the quota of. No, what I'm simply saying is that we're not going to just discredit someone simply based on gender. If God is doing something, I don't care if you're black, white, you've been a drug addict, a businessman, a male or female, if God is choosing to use you, we want to recognize it and partner with what God is doing. So don't hear what I'm not saying today. I'm not saying this. there's a demonic agenda in our nation today that says that boys can become girls and girls become men. That is not where we stand whatsoever. Boys are boys, girls are girls. There's two genders. That's how that works. And I'm just going to be real. Let me pastor you for a second. You should be clapping at a lot more stuff than that. And let me go ahead and say to the people that think that, that God doesn't belong in politics, let me tell you something. Two genders is not a political issue. Abortion is not a political issue. These are God-given rights. These are Bible issues. These are not political issues. A third of the claps. Come on, somebody. Here we go. James chapter 3, verse 1. Check this out. Let's make this clear. Not many of you should become teachers. He's not talking about just women. He's not talking about just men. Here's to say, serving in an official teaching capacity, my brothers and who? Oh, goodness. That word in the Greek usually is brethren. Brethren does not just mean boys. It means the body. It means fellow believers of the same father. Check it out. 
for you know that we who are teachers will be judged by a higher standard because we have assumed greater, come on somebody, accountability and more condemnation if we teach incorrectly. Let me tell you right now, this is why I was up to two in the morning last night because I take this very seriously. Because when you step in this pulpit, it's not to be seen. It's not to be because you want to be there. And I'm not here to, to try to just raise women up this morning to get an orphan heart. Listen, an orphan spirit will have you completely out of God's will. I can be a pastor too. No, 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 no. Not, the Bible says not many of you should teach. Men and women. It's not for everyone. It's God calls and he chooses how he wants to. But he's saying, you know why? Because you're going to be held to a higher standard. This is to be taken very seriously. It's not something, there's an, attract, there's an unhealthy attraction for the microphone in churches. There's an unhealthy attraction to be visible in churches. And the Bible literally tells you that's not the way to do it. It says the hidden parts are the most honorable. It literally says, go low. All right? All right, here we go. So not many of you should become teachers. This is for men and Women, the goal of the Christian life is not to become pastor or who gets to get paid by the church. That's not the goal of the Christian life. Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for, his, for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others. How many of you know that's probably one of the, the less celebrated gifts in the church and the most needed is encouraging. How many of you know that you don't always need a teaching moment? You usually need an encourage moment. That was a good word. That wasn't in my notes. If you've been married and you have kids or anything, I'm learning and I'm, God help me continue to learn that they don't always need teaching. They need encouragement. And we're so, the enemy will come in and twist things and say, you need to teach, you need to be a pastor. That's when you'll be special, you'll be an evangelist. And God's saying, hey, I've just gifted you. I've gifted you to be an encourager. I've gifted you to be a helper. I've gifted you to be behind the scenes. And you're thinking, oh, that's not enough. Who told you that? It wasn't him. So let's make this clear. If God has given you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly so guys you notice how I said if God has given you this gift how many of you know that God decides who's called and who's gifted to certain things not us God decides who's called to teach the word of God God decides who's called with the the leadership gift with the teaching gift with the um, the serving gift, whatever it may be. And let me say this, if you feel like, man, I'm called to preach, I'm called to teach, I promise you this, pastors and other people who are called to teach will draw it out of you. You won't have to force it or make a Facebook page or leave the church and make yourself public. You, you won't have to force it. Other people will call it out of you, I promise. All right? Woo! Isn't this good? Listen, this is, this is awesome. So the goal, so our goal is not to become pastors in the kingdom. What is the goal? Male and female in the kingdom of God is to walk in your personal gifting and use it to bring God glory and serve the body. That's your goal. Whatever it may be, what is my gifting, Lord? What have you called me to be? I want to use that for your glory and I want to use it to serve the body. 
period. Nothing else. Don't let the devil lie to you and say that your gift and your calling and what he's, he's called you to do is not good enough. That's a lie from hell. So, um, man, I done sang my heart out this morning. I got allergies. My throat's on fire. Let's go. So at the Father's house, we don't want to miss out on something God is potentially doing or saying based on the person that God is using. Let me say that again. We don't want to miss out on something God is potentially doing or saying based on the origin or the person that it's coming from. Right? Luke 24, 10 through 12. It was, this is after the resurrection. This is the resurrection story. How many of you know that the resurrection is the foundational truth of the Christian life. How many of you know that? First Corinthians chapter 15, what does it say? If there is no resurrection, everything is what? It's useless. So, let's, so how many, we, he's basically what he's saying, hey, the most important thing that we can really believe, if he didn't raise from the dead, guys, there is no born again, there is no eternal life, there's nothing. Yes, the cross was great, it was amazing, he paid it in full, but if he didn't raise... We're, there's no hope for us. So it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told him, told this to the apostles. Verse 11. But their words seemed like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the women. I love verse 12 though. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. So I was thinking about this. So you have the most foundational, the, the most important truth that really everything kind of hangs on for the gospel. And then you see at the, at the tomb, who, were, who was at the tomb? The strong leader men? No. It's the women. Dang. Women one, men zero. <laughs> and what did Jesus tell them over and over again? Hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise from the grave. The women are at the tomb. You know, back in those times, women were basically the lowliest of the lowly. They had, their testimony didn't matter. So even if you saw something happen or a crime, a woman's testimony did not matter in court. It was not believed. And I was sitting there reading this this past week. I said, man, I'm wondering if some of the disciples didn't believe simply because it was the testimony of the women. And I said, hold on a second. So Jesus, you're trying to get one of the most important, vital truths and testimonies in the Bible, and you chose to use people that no one's going to believe? That seems really irresponsible, God. No one listens to them. They're the lowly. Mary Magdalene, she was a prostitute. No one's going to listen to these people. But the whole time, I believe God was trying to get a message. It so happened through a female whether you like it or not. And I, I don't want to be like some of the other disciples who don't receive something. Now, listen to me. I don't ever want to miss out on something that's from God simply because of where it comes from. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out if it comes from, from a female, from a black person, from a Hispanic person, from a drug addict, from whoever it may be, from a donkey. So, come on, some of you be more excited if a donkey spoke than a woman spoke. That's nonsense. My Lord, I don't even know what all I'm saying up here today. It's going to be quoted on Facebook, I'm sure. 
That's totally fine. We got a lot to go. Here we go. Let me say that again. I don't want to miss out on something God's trying to say to me based on who is, he's using to say it to me. I remember I was at FOS when God friends of sinners, and there's this guy in there that was just rough, man, just always disruptive, just always questioning stuff, just super prideful. And I remember I was talking about something the Lord spoke to me, and he, he shared something that spoke right to my heart. And God used him in this moment. And at first I was kind of like, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> he ended up getting kicked out of the house like two weeks later. I'm just being honest with you. But what he said was from the Lord. And I called my wife. I said, man, this guy said something to me today for West. Man, I really needed to hear it. Because I don't want to miss out on something that's from the Lord regardless of who he uses. Amen. I want to be like Peter in verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. <laughs> I want to be eager. So, Keep going. Some of you are thinking, well, there's two scriptures in the New Testament. But once again, we interpret the Bible with the whole Bible. And there's a whole lot of scriptures that talk about God using women, actually. Way more than two. So, here we go. Uh, let's see, let's see. You know what's crazy? Like, even me and my brother, me and one of my brothers, we have vast, we have pretty big theological differences. He goes to another church here in this town. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of times God has used my brother and God has used me and to speak into each other's life. And I could sit here and be like, well, I ain't listening to him. He doesn't agree with this. He doesn't agree with this. He doesn't agree with this. Hey, hey, I don't care where it's coming from as long as it's from Jesus. If it's from Jesus, I want it. What if you're missing out on something that's actually from the Lord? Maddie got up here and shared her heart out. God is obviously using her, Right? All right, here we go. Keep going. So let's look in the Bible. Let's look in the Old Testament for a few instances of women that God has called. Not only to he's called, but he's called actually to save Israel and save his people. So it's obvious, of course, if you look in the Old Testament, that God primarily called men into vocational ministry during the time of the Old Testament, just as he did during the New Testament times. You got the stories of men such as Moses, you got Aaron, you got Joshua, you got Samuel, you got David. They feel the pages. Obviously, I'm not here to debate that usually it's men. It's kind of obvious in Scripture. That's not the debate this morning. But he goes on. Here we go. But many women, however, stand out as proof that God can call and use anyone he desires, no matter who it is. And women equipped by God are sufficient for any task to which he calls them to. We see this with, in the Old Testament with Miriam. Somebody say Miriam. A, Miriam was a prophetess, a worship leader. In Micah 6, chapter 4, God categorized Miriam right with Moses and Aaron as being one of Israel's leaders. Look at this. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. To do what? To lead the people. So you're telling me that God's okay with women leading in the old covenant, but somehow in the newer covenant, the greater covenant, he, doesn't, he disagrees with it now? That's a hard argument. You're telling me in the old covenant where it was eye for an eye, 
And in a greater covenant, he's put more restraint on the women. I, that's a poor argument, I believe. So God uses Miriam as a prophet to speak for him to his people. So Miriam's leadership role in Israel was clearly not as dominant as Moses's. But as a prophetess, Miriam spoke on God's behalf. And I, I think it's safe to assume um, that um, they're not directed just by women, but the men of Israel as well. And so you see God using women in the Old Testament. There's a next one. There's a crazy, amazing, mighty woman that you don't want to mess with named Deborah. In Judges chapter 4, verse 4, it says, now Deborah, a prophet. In Ephesians chapter 4 or 5, excuse me, it says, Christ has given gifts to the church, apostles, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And he goes on to say that the foundation of the church is actually built on the apostle and the prophet. And here we got in the Old Testament, God is very normalizing with women being prophets. Deborah's a prophet. Is this kind of the, the normal? Is this, do we see this a lot? No, but we do see it. And it says Deborah's a prophet. Look at this. And I'm going I'm to proofread a little bit this. She is, look at this. The wife of Lapidoth, in verse 4, Judges 4.4, 4, was leading Israel at that time. That's a pretty big task. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Verse 7, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. She's telling this guy, Hey, I'm going to deliver this, our enemy, into your hands. Look at verse 8. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. What kind of man is this? Or what kind of woman is this? <laughs> Maybe he's not a weak man. Maybe she's just a powerful woman. And I don't know about you, but if I was going to a fight, the last person I'm going to call is some women. Just to be real with you. <laughs> but what, what was significant about Deborah? She was called of God and God was with her. It wasn't because he needed it. You just hear what I'm saying? He's saying, hey, if you don't go, I'm not coming. It's because God was with and called Deborah to lead. Man, this is good. Hallelujah. Mm -mm -mm. Listen, some of you have just been conditioned your whole life to believe certain things that suppress women. And you need to break it today. Women just belong. Some of the same guys that are saying women just belong in the kitchen are the same guys who don't have a deep relationship with God. They cannot really exegete the scripture. They're not discipling their own kids and they've never even shared the gospel in the last year. And I know this is kind of funny, but I'm just going to say it anyways. But not all y'all women belong in the kitchen. Some of y'all can't cook. That's how I know it's not true. I just had to bring it back, Okay. Everybody loosen up. Loosen up. I know some of you are thinking, man, I'm about to walk out of this church. Just wait. You can just leave when I, if you disagree with me, you can leave when it's done. We can agree to disagree, and I'll still love you. You're just wrong. But, um, <laughs> but here's this guy saying, hey, if you go, I'll go. Man, this is some mighty woman here. And then you go on. How many of you have been told the story about Deborah? And we read the story as if Deborah was the one who got the tent stake and killed uh, the king, but that's not what it says at all. Guess who it was? Another woman. <laughs> Dear Lord. Verse 21, but Jael, 
Heber's wife picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while they lay fast. Somebody say women are kind of crazy, but exhausted. Don't mess with your wife. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. These are some bad women. And then know what she says to Barak? Just then Barak came by and pursued a Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. She said, come. She said, I will show you the man that you're looking for. So he went in with her and lay there, Sisera, with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Whoa. Oh, Lord, help us. I don't know if y'all heard what she said, but we don't receive that. She said, that's how we do it. No, that's not how we do it, okay? <laughs> Whoever's a wife that is, um, we're praying for you right now in the name of Jesus. If something happens to you. See, some of you didn't even know you can smile in church. Come on now. You're learning all kinds of new things today, amen? So Deborah was a prophet and a judge and a leader of an army of God's people. This needs to be, all of this needs to be accounted for before we address two scriptures in the New Testament, amen? Esther, you see a queen, that God raised up a woman to, to, to stand up, and at first she was gonna keep silent, but Mordecai would say, hey, God's put you in this place. Look at Esther, verse 4, 13 of... 14, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Notice he says, don't be quiet. God's called you. And too long the church has said, mm, I don't think the Lord's called you. Be quiet. Then you got Mary, the mother of Jesus. I love what R.W. Shambach says. He said, God entrusted a woman to carry the living word of God, but man won't let women carry the preaching word of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. Uh, you have Anna. How many of you remember Anna in the, the Christmas story? Something you never even really remember. There's a prophetess, right? Or excuse me, there was a, yes, a prophet. So verse 36, Luke 2, verse 36 through 38. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna. This is when Jesus was born, and he was a baby. They take him to the temple, and it says, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the, the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband 70 years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking. Check this out. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Praise God. Seems like God entrusts the gospel. Some females, some prophets. This is New Testament. Romans 16. Now we're going to get into some really good ones. Romans 16, verse 1 and 2. Really, really good. Here we go. You can put that up, please. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a servant of the church, I don't know how to say that word, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper, where are we at here, I need for you, she has been a patron, a helper, a benefactor of many and of myself also. That word helper in the Greek is prostatis, which means a woman who is set over others. Uh-oh. 
From the Greek word, the root of that word is to rule. This is this, man, come on. He's saying, hey, greet Phoebe, our sister. Phoebe is also believed in the historical context to be the person that Paul entrusted the book of Romans. How many of you know that the New Testament, the letters were written to specific people at specific churches for specific reasons? You had a city called Corinth. That's where we get the letters Corinthians. You had a city called Ephesus. That's where you get Ephesians. There's a city called, a region called Philippi and Galatia. You have all these things. Why? Because Paul is writing to people in different regions. For example, he's saying to, hey, those people in New York, here's the letter. We can only imagine what it would say. Ooh. And then there's a letter written to Owensboro about the religious spirit. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Somebody say, not me. Not this church. But that word that he uses for Phoebe is a helper, a person who ruled over other people. He's commending a woman as being a fellow leader of his. And not only that, don't you think if he's going to give one of the books of the Bible to a church, you think he's going to send a female? But he does. And this is debatable, but the person who usually brought the letter was person who would explain the letter if they had questions. Paul sends Phoebe. It's pretty amazing. I think it's pretty cool. Another breakdown of prostasis is an assistant. She was an assistant to him. Come on, somebody. Verse 3 in chapter 16. Greet Priscilla, that's a girl, and Achilla. You notice that it mentions her name first for some reason here, which is not normal. Check out this, what it says here. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, go on, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that's in their house. How many of you know that there was no pulpits in the Bible times? Well, women, they can sing and all these different things, but they can't get behind the pulpit. There's no pulpits back then, gentlemen. Greet my beloved person who is the first fruits vacation to Christ. Greet Mary who labored much for us. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. Whoa, that's kind of crazy. Junia is a female, my fellow prisoner. So apparently Junia can go to prison for the gospel but can't teach you the gospel. And he's saying Junia is accounted among the apostles, insinuating that she could potentially have been an apostle. I know that really stretches us. But check this out. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are all God's fellow workers. That ain't it. I got the wrong scripture. Somebody help me. It's something 3, 9. I think it's Galatians. For we are God's fellow workers. That word fellow worker is the word synergos. If you know me at all, you know I love coffee. There's a place in Louisville called Sunnergoss. That's where that word, that word comes from. And when he was talking about Priscilla and Aquila as my fellow workers, he uses the Greek word sunergos, which means my co-laborers, my fellow workers. It's the same word that's used when Christ talks about the church and he says, you are my fellow workers, my co-laborers to build God's house. Whoa. 
He's saying, oh, we're co-laboring with God. These are my co-laborers to build God's kingdom. A female. Acts chapter 18, verse 18 through 28. Put this one up. This is really important. Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. I'm gonna read it to you, verse 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Once again, mentioning her name first. Not saying that she was above him and and she ruled over her husband. That's not what I'm saying. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off because of the vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus. Somebody say Ephesus. Come on, say it again. Ephesus. Where Paul left. This is very important. They were in Ephesus. Remember this. Where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. Where did he leave them? Ephesus. He himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem, agreed at the church, and went down to Antioch. I'm going to go down to verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, somebody say Apollos. This is a man, by the way. A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. Somebody say Ephesus. He was learned, a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Very important scripture here, verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way God, way of God more accurately. Who did? Priscilla and Aquila. There's no reason for Paul just to mention the male if it was not the both of them, but both of them took Paulus aside to teach him the word of God more accurately. And where were they? Somebody say it again. They were at Ephesus. This is pretty important. This is why you see Paul saying, hey, greet my fellow workers, Priscilla and Achilles in the kingdom. Right? Let's, let's get into the, some more of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 through 6. I know we've got a lot to go on here today, but it's good. Oh, it's only 12 o'clock. I'm doing great. So verse 26 seems very clear to me that Priscilla and Aquila taught the scriptures more to Apollos, to a, to a male, together as a team, right? Some of you are upset with me. That's fine. Women can prophesy. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 through 6. It says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. This is why he's like, you see a bunch of guys take their hat off when they pray, right? But every wife who prays or prophesies, let's stop there. Every who? Wife. wife. Prays or what? Prophesies. What is prophecy? <laughs> Talking for God. You ready? Let's, let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 through 5. First Corinthians 14, three through five. On the other hand, we got it up there? Nope, I'm just gonna read it. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, check this out, the one who prophesies does what? Let's stop there. The one who prophesies does what? That's pretty clear, right? So we get into a scripture later on in the same, the next chapter, or actually later in the same chapter, 
we're gonna see where God says the women must be silent in the church. But hold on a second. We know that women can prophesy and we know that prophecy is when we speak to the people for the upbuilding and encouragement of the church. Hmm. So is God, is Paul about to contradict himself? So in the Bible, you need to understand that there are two types of scripture, more than that, but you have normative text, which is something that is applicable and true for all time in every situation, and then you have situational text, and here's the big debate wrapped up in a very small box. Are these scriptures normative or are they situational? Is Paul addressing a certain church about a certain issue going on in the church, or is he saying this is how it should be for all time in every situation? Where I stand, because of a lot of what I just told you, is that, God, that Paul is addressing a certain people for a certain situation in a certain context. Because I don't think that Paul is saying, hey, women can prophesy, and when they do, this is how they need to do it. And then later on in the same chapter, hey, be quiet, and we'll get to it in just a moment. Doesn't make a lot of sense. So, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So we know that prophecy is to be spoken to the church. Can you see that? Right? And then you know what we do? We read the next scripture where it says women be quiet. I'm like, see, it says it right here. It also says in Romans 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you did that this morning? Y'all better not be trying to start that. You catch these holy hands. If one of y'all touched my wife, right? <laughs> Quote me on that one. You know, the Bible would go on to say, how many of you know in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, in Romans 16 as well, it also says that Paul took Timothy aside and circumcised him. Y'all think that was situational or universal? Who wants to sign up today on the church center app? <laughs> well, it says it right here. Paul took Timothy and circumcised him because his dad was a Greek, and we need to do that. Okay, it's in the Bible. Greet each other with a holy kiss, so we got to start that one too. Or when he told, another time in the New Testament, he said, take a, an offering for Jerusalem. How many, of you, how many of you did that this week? When he told, I forgot who else it was, he said, hey, when you come visit me, bring me my cloak. How many of you have been looking for Paul's cloak to take to him? <laughs> I know I'm kind of being funny, but that's the reality. We have to be able to discern and let the Bible exegete, let the Bible explain and interpret the Bible. So Paul is clearly saying, hey, women can prophesy, and it even has been prophesied all the way from the prophet Joel that happened on the day of Pentecost. That's what we're celebrating today, ultimately, is that God pours out his spirit on male and female on the day of Pentecost, regardless of what you think. Thanks, Mom. All right, so prophecy is speaking to the church. It's very clear. So the next two scriptures is where the, where the debate lies. Let's look at it together. Is this a normative, normative text or universal text or situational text? In the same chapter when he tells people how to prophesy and what it is, in verse 30, 1 Corinthians 30 35, so it says, if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. So what is Paul addressing? You ready? He is addressing orderly worship. This is the topic right here. Look, one of you can prophesy. What is he talking about? He's saying, hey, things have been getting out of hand at the church of Corinth. Y'all have been getting kind of crazy. Somebody's sleeping with their, their mother-in-law. 
Here's some direction on that. Here's some direction on orderly worship. He's given them some direction on orderly worship because they're obviously out of order in their worship. At this time as well, don't forget that women are usually uneducated people. They don't know the Torah at all. They've never even been educated in a, lot of, in a lot of levels. So if you could imagine, they're coming and trying to teach and have orderly worship services. The women had a lot of questions. And it's believed in historical context, depending on what we, excuse me, not depending, but in view of what we have all read, that it's the same. The women were asking questions. They were butting in. They were, they were unlearned. So they're like, hey, and then you got Paul giving a command. And what does he say? For you can all prophesy one by one. Once again, he says, hey, you can all, men and women, so that everyone may learn and everyone be encouraged. And the prophet's spirit are under the control of the prophets. Since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. All the people that think they need to yell out in service, that verse goes against that. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. As in all the church of the saints, the woman should be silent in the churches. Another debate here is that Paul is actually um, presenting his, um, the other side's position. As in all the church of the saints, the woman should be silent in churches. Let me just stop there for a second. I don't know any church that is practicing that fully. Right? So if we want to take some of it, we need to take all of it. Some of you are thinking, yeah, they were right. They need to be quiet. My Lord. If that's where you want to come to, that's completely up to you. But he says, hey, they should be silent. So, so, even, so we'll, we have all these different things. We'll let them, we'll let them sing because they can play piano real good and they can hit the high notes. But Paul says, let them be silent. We can't just have part of this verse without the rest of it. So be quiet. So obviously no one or very few people to this day are following this verse completely. Can we agree on that? All right, here we go. Here we go. As in the church is saying, not permitted to speak, but should be submissive, as the law also says, and if they want to learn something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church meeting. How many of you know that God does have a creative order? That God does call men to lead their houses and to be the spiritual leaders of their home. I believe what Paul's also addressing is women who are trying to usurp the authority of their husbands and trying to take over the male role in the homes as well. There's a difference between, you know what I love about Pastor Faith and even Lauren who preached here recently? They are not women trying to take over their husbands. And their husbands are not little puny men who just don't want, who get ran over by their wives. And to me, that makes all the difference. And we'll see that a little later in 1 Timothy. So, Paul's admission here is in reference, somebody say reference, to excessive disruptions and disorder taking place. Therefore, this passage, like the rest of the chapter, is an attempt to bring correction to the chaos to affirm that all things be done decently and in order. That's where I stand completely. Seems very obvious to me judging everything else we've learned about God using females. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 14. This is a big one too. And this is the last one here. Also the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing. How many of you know that's a universal text? (laughs) We don't have to do that anymore. But some people take this to an extreme. 
They have to wear a skirt. They have to do their hair a certain way. It doesn't say that in the text, you know. And it goes on to say, don't braid your hair so we don't braid our hair. Elaborate hairstyles, golden pearls. You know what's actually addressing? In those times, if you would undo your hair and you would dress up and go out in public, it meant that you were looking for someone else besides your husband. So let me interpret it like this to the, the, that can be interpreted this morning to every woman in this, in this place. Don't present yourself like you're open and available for other men. That was a good one. All the men should be clapping there, but that's all right. That's what he's saying. If you're married, act like it and, and dress like it. Don't show it off. You young girls, come on. You're so much more valuable than showing everything off to everybody everywhere. It's not because God wants to control you. It's because you have value and you have a gift that you want to give to your husband one day. And not put it on display. I love one passage. If it's not for sale, don't put it on display. All right, I'll move on. 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 14. Here we go. Not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel, but with the good. Once again, expensive apparel. Is that Nike? Is that Dolce & Gabbana? I, mean, I don't know. How, you know, we can start to get legalistic and start to add stuff to God's word. Here we go. But look at this. A woman should learn, or excuse me, but with good works, as it improper for women who affirm their worship. Sorry. Verse 11. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. What's the submission talking about? I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority. Somebody say authority. How many of you know it's the only time that Greek word is used in the whole New Testament? And so we have to look outside of the Bible to other times that word is used. And when that word is used, it's used in a negative connotations over a man. How many of you know we live in a sick world now that people can think they can just become literally a man? But you can't. Instead, she is to be silent. You see that again. For Adam was created first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. So let's look at this for a second. Does anybody have a, to take a wild guess where Timothy is the pastor of? Take a guess. Anybody? Come on. Ephesus. Whoa. Hmm. In Ephesus, if you recall, we just read that that's where Priscilla and Aquila taught a man. Remember, we just read that. I remember I told you, I had you say it over and over again. Apparently, that didn't work. <laughs> it says, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. A man named Apollos came in Ephesus, and they taught him the scriptures. Here we find Paul talking to Timothy and saying, don't let women teach. Where is he at in Ephesus? Hold on a second. Is Paul contradicting himself once again? Another thing is, why was, or excuse me, I'll start here. 2 Timothy 1.5, this is really important. This is Paul writing in 2 Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. You notice he didn't say his dad. That's kind of rough. I can tell you right now, no offense to my father, but my faith has come from my mother. Right? And check this out. What it, think about this. Where do you think Timothy learned about Jesus? His mom and his grandma. Are you telling me that when, when he became 14 or 15, when he was considered a man, now since he's a man, his mom and his grandma can't teach him about Jesus anymore? Come on now. Sounds like a lot of the, what the Islamic faith actually believes. When men reach a certain age, the women, the, their own moms can't leave the house without the 
the boys in charge of them. Come on. Paul's saying, man, your faith came from your mom and your grandma, and you are who you are today because of some women. And I would imagine that those women, I'm going to tell you right now, if I could get a hold of Timothy's grandma and I could learn about Jesus. Listen, let me say it like this. You're telling me that if Mary, the mother of Jesus, was available to teach you about Christ, you would say, no, thanks. That's foolish. So look at First Timothy verse one, or excuse me, chapter one, verse three through six. So we got to ask. Remember, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy at the church at Ephesus. Stay with me. I know some of this is kind of we got a lot going on today. So why was First Timothy written? This is very important. Paul addresses why he's writing the letter. I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He's saying, hey, there's some false teachers that are, that are uh, in Ephesus and you know, who's, you know who they're deceiving? You ready? Women. You know who's more vulnerable? Widows. Why? Why were widows vulnerable back then? Because their husband passed away and usually they own their own homes. Right? And so is it coincidental that in the same time Paul is addressing, hey, there's false teachers coming up in the churches Look at this, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God. He's saying, hey, there's false teachers around, they're deceiving women, and it makes a lot of sense to me that Paul is saying in this situation, because women are being deceived, they're trying to usurp authority over the men, hey, I don't, let, I don't allow women to teach right now. How many of you know that we know for sure that Timothy traveled with Paul during his ministry? How many of you know if Paul wouldn't let women teach, Timothy would have already known? That's a good point. Why would Paul have to remind Timothy something he would have known very clearly by traveling and doing ministry with Paul? You see what I'm saying? Isn't that incredible? So he's saying, hey, there's some false teachers there. He's in Ephesus, the same place where Priscilla taught Apollos, and that seemed to be okay. And I love that word here. Let's look at this. Let's go back to the text. Here we go. Or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. I believe it's different when God calls a woman to preach and teach the word. And also, let let me say it like this. The women also were uneducated. They were unlearned, so they were new converts. They did not know a lot about the scriptures. I believe what it's actually addressing is newly converted women who do not know the scriptures well, and I do not permit them to teach. Does that make sense? This makes sense to me. If it doesn't to you, that's okay. He's saying, hey, and if you read the Passion Translation, that's actually how it's translated. The newly converted women. I don't permit them to teach right now. And I think you should go ahead and say, hey, the newly converted men as well. Right? I don't permit them to teach as well. Why? Because we saw at the beginning of this sermon, not many of you should teach. Brothers and sisters. Right? Why was he saying brothers and sisters? About teaching. He's saying, hey, this isn't for everybody. But I believe God. Already? He does what he wants. 
And my, I would say my, my biggest thing that has won me in this debate is seeing the anointing on women. <laughs> I look at people like Jackie Pullinger. How many of you know a lot of denominations are so cool about sending women missionaries? What do you think they're doing? They're sharing the gospel. And some of us, we're, we're cool with uh, biblical counselors being women. So you can go to a marriage counselor who's gonna, who's gonna counsel you through the Bible. What do you think that's called? Discipleship. But they can't get behind a pulpit. There's no pulpits in the Bible, church. There's no microphones. Amen, thank you. I'm gonna read this conclusion to you. This is also from Pastor Robert Morris's church. How many of y'all know Robert Morris? Another church, amazing Bible expositor who's completely in agreement with women in ministry. He says, a review of the entire text of Paul's letter gives strong indication that he was offering advice to Timothy on how to confront the heretical teaching and misconduct occurring among a number of women within the church. To view this passage in any other context would require denying the legitimacy of Paul's other references to the work of ministry and women within the various churches of his day. Such a perceived contradiction is inconsistent with the proven principles of biblical interpretation. Don't you love it when people really smart agree with you? I don't have a seminary degree, but I love uh, Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. Craig Keener from Asbury. Remember the revival broke out in Asbury? Dr. Craig Keener has put out some amazing, amazing stuff on this topic that's absolutely phenomenal. It's not just filled with stuff like God told me. It's filled with true, expository, exegetical, breaking down of the scripture in context. It's good stuff. Jackie Pullinger, let me tell you a little bit about her, then we'll, we'll be done today. Jackie Pullinger was a missionary to China. She, this is a woman. You can look her up on Google. She goes to, I think it's Hong Kong, by herself as a female. She goes to the slums of Hong Kong where it's ridden with drugs and, and heroin. You know what she does? She starts to just love on people. She starts to take people to the hospital who were sick on drugs. She, she said at first they wouldn't receive the message of the gospel, so I, tr I tried just to show them the gospel. And she started to do just nice things and be love in that city. And then first, then she had a guy that was on drugs that she finally, he got saved. They were praying in tongues. He got born again in her apartment. Then she started letting these guys live in her house. And guess who was teaching them? Jackie. This ministry has grown and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been born again because of a woman's call on her life that still stands for this day. I'm here to tell you today on Pentecost Sunday that God decided to pour out his spirit on all flesh and the gifts that he's decided to give are up to him and sometimes he decides to use women. Isn't that amazing? It feels so good being a man and saying it. And if you knew me at all, I'm not this kind of just random puny man. My wife homeschools our kids. She stays at home. She's a stay-at-home mom. We're not like this super progressive liberal family by any means. My wife's one of the women that can cook, though. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. My goodness. But my wife can also get up and exhort the body and sing her heart out. I'm glad that... 
She's not keeping silent on the microphone. Some of these same churches, guys, that believe this, they let women sing. It's in the same verse. Okay, I'll move on. Hmm. So we know that God is not a respecter of persons. Can we stand to our feet? Can we worship Team Cal? <laughs> we see that in the scripture in Romans 2, 11, that God is not a respecter of persons. The Bible says he shows no partiality. So listen, guys. We're not saying that we're trying to... The reason why, y'all ready? The reason why I had Lauren early preach a few weeks ago is not because I'm just like, man, I'm looking for women. God uses women. I'm looking for women pastors. We're gonna, we're gonna be progressive women church. You know, not even close. I just sit down with her and I saw the anointing on her life. And I thought, man... I want to partner with what God is doing in your life. And, I say, and you know what? At this church, we don't want to miss out on what God is doing depending on how, who he's using. And I would dare to say that a huge part of the church today has not received so much from God. Think about it, man. Your mom taught, your mom raised you. It taught you things about Jesus. I would love to sit here and take credit for that song that my daughter was singing like it came from me, but it was from Maddie. Or my son is singing. Now, Carter, you're 16 now. You can't be taught by your mom anymore. Come on now. It's nonsense. Nonsense. Obviously, I believe Paul's addressing certain things, and it just goes against our cultural, some of our southern and how we were raised could our prayer team come maybe you're new here this morning and you're saying man I don't know I just came into this church I'm desperate for Jesus I need a change in my life the sermon was cool but whatever man I need to get saved if you're here today and you're saying man I need to be born again I want to I don't want to give an I want to give an opportunity for you to be born again this morning if you're saying man I need salvation I need to repent of my sin and give my heart to Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand right now, right where you are? I need to be saved this morning. I believe in Christ. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave. Is there anybody? I want to make room. Anybody who says, I need to be born again. I need to surrender. I need to yield to him. I'll give you just a moment. Would you lift your hand up right where you are? Anybody at all? All right. Maybe you're a little shy, that's okay. Please come to our prayer team. Today is the day of salvation. It's an opportunity for you to come from death to life. Amen, church? So, I also want to take just about 30 seconds. If everybody would just close your eyes. I believe some of us need to repent this morning for rejecting what God has been doing. I believe some of you just need to speak with the Holy Spirit right now and just say, man, Lord, is teach me. Lead me. I don't want to miss out on anything. 
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just declare this morning that the Father's house, our staff, Lord, our elders, that God, that we will see the anointing and the ordination of what you're doing on your people, God, and we will call it and make room for it. That we won't miss out on what you're doing. Ever. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Can we put our hands together for the Lord this morning? Bless you guys. Hey, before you go, if you need healing in your body, if you just need somebody to partner with you in prayer, if you just need encouragement, we'd love to pray with you before you go. The altars are open. Bless you guys. On your way out, be friendly, greet somebody, invite somebody to lunch. Have a good week.